3.10. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Amen. I am here to share something exciting with you. You guys ready? The Lord saw that we went without need last year. Amen? All right. So what we're going to do, you guys know we are a paperless church. So you come in, we're not handing out bulletins, trying to sell you on the next best thing or convince you that you haven't given enough and yada, yada, yada. You come into this house and we want to be about one thing. Jesus. Okay? So, because Jesus was about a few things, we want to honor his church and you with bringing you up to date where we are every month. So we're going to do a state of the church on the last Sunday of every month. And we're going to talk to you a little bit about where we're growing. Because do you know that since its inception, since Conduit's doors opened, We've only grown. Amen? All right. So, last year after year three was the first year that we actually started to be able to build budget. Otherwise, I mean, it has been an act of faith this whole time. And it still is to a great measure. But what we want to do is for, we want to give you the, the facts of where we are every month so it's easier for you to know where we're heading as a church and what we're doing as a church. So, Nutshell, last year the total giving amounted to $262,747.92. That's awesome. Okay, that's a big year. That's a good year. Um, we're, we're not doing a demographic study and figuring out if we could get more or if that's really great. We know it's what we needed and God saw to it. Okay? And we know that what God is able to do is far and beyond, but we're growing into the vision and the mission that he has for us as a church, okay? So I wanted you to know that out of the $262,747.92, there are two pastors' families with an absolute schoolhouse full of kids, <laughs> all right, that are being sustained, and we are humbled by that. That is awesome, because it allows us to devote 100% of our lives to our wives and to our children and to you. And that's what we're called to do. All right? And that's huge. So, and, and if you, and, and so that's inside that number. But then inside this, there's a really important number. $59,636.09 went to local mission. Is that awesome? That's exciting. That, that's like, that means that we're actually, we're, 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 we're like backing up our preaching. Like we believe that we are here to serve. And what does the Lord say? He says that there will be no more need until there is no need. And so he has helped us meet the need. But the need is only going to increase because our awareness of the need is heightened. Amen? Okay. So this is 2015 and this is the first year that we have a projected budget. Okay, it's taken three years for us to weather the storms. 
to build into beautiful people like you that are proving consistent that we are bringing a tithe into the storehouse, okay? So I wanted you, can you back up one screen, please? This right here, weekly giving average in 2015 was $4,668. Now, that did not happen every week, but it was the average, so you understand. The weekly giving need in 2016 is $5,962. If you add that up, if you're a math person, that says that we need $310,000 coming into 2016 to do the ministry that's at hand. Now, we're not daunting you with a big number because I don't even think that's that big. God's been multiplying what we do, okay? For us to do what we've done as a missional church in the last three years and to be able to give what we've given, he has multiplied the dollars and cents. And this is something we don't have a scale for. Don't flip it yet. I wish we had a meter on here because, see, this just equates dollars. Just money. We don't have a chart to equate your talent and your time. But let me tell you, it's off the charts. Because your talent and your time is what is sown into conduit. It is what has birthed the mission and the church and, the, and truly the identity of who we are in this community. It's you. We don't have a chart for that. All right? I'm just here to tell you the needle's pegged. Amen? All right. So... This, unlike a school budget, and I don't know if you're like me, but my, I, in the school district I'm in, I get a little flyer, and, and so far, as long as I've been contributing to taxes, I have seen the budget increase annual. Anybody familiar with that? Right? And did you know the population in our school district is decreasing annual? It doesn't make any sense to me. You know? We got a new bus garage and no kids to ride the bus. I don't, whatever. Anyways, so... The, and, and, and not, yeah, I know, I'm not a platform, sorry, I'm getting off. So what I wanted you to see is this is not a school budget. This isn't us saying, well, we want to increase the budget because it's the hip thing to do. It's what everybody does. You make a bigger budget so you get more money. Um, we're not looking for more money. We, us. We are increasing the budget because there are more people. Our conduit kids has seen nearly thereabouts, I'll give you specifics as the month goes on. Since we opened last April, we have had over 300 kids engaged at Conduit Kids, and we sustain an average, amen, but we sustain an average of 80 to 90 kids a week. That retention level is amazing. That's a church in and of itself, amen? So our population in here is growing not, we're not looking like, like big high peaks. We're looking for the steady incline. And every week we are increasing. Because every week somebody has, has, has a little bit more heart to say, you need what I'm getting. And these seats are filling up. This house really means what it stands for. It is a house of freedom. Okay? So tithe doesn't buy that. Jesus does. We're here to advocate, to keep the lights on, and, and we talk about building. I'm going to give you an example. How many Boy Scouts are here today? Right? You guys, your hands up? Okay. We support the local troop here. Okay? We don't ask them for anything. We open the doors because it's for our local community. It's for, it's for the parents. It's for the children. It's for a, a safe place to come and gather. And so... You, when we bring all we have to the storehouse, it is to create a place for the community, okay, to be impacted by sustainable 
love through electric and water and a warm space. Amen? All right? Boy Scouts, they're cool. Give them a hand. Okay. So <clears throat> what we're doing is, is we've had this lump sum of a budget. Okay, we've had this like, okay, we're going to wing it this year. We kind of have been winging it with an agenda, and we're pointing to mission. But this year is different. We finally got our feet under us. Okay, there's some talented guys here that are in partnership. They're, they're helping draw focused lines that we're, we're delineating. So this next, this is our 2016 budget projection. Because what I wanted you to see is that the monies, if you can imagine, there's four buckets up here on stage. Four. And each of these buckets needs to be filled. We wanted you to understand which of those buckets mean what. Conduit North is our church plant. Pastor Cameron has come on board, obedient to the call, to go to the north side, and we are putting our feet down to bring ministry and hope to a broken community. Amen? Okay. For us to sustain his family and, and a budget for a building we don't have or a space we haven't rented, we have to appropriate funds. So we are looking for a projected budget for this year to make this show happen. A launch in September is $54,700. Some of you guys in this room, you guys are entrepreneurs. You're speculators. This is an investment. This is a speculative investment in faith. It's going to work. The next one, 120 Delaware, you're sitting in it. You're sitting in a place. This $51,800 includes a mortgage that we are paying double the principal on every single month because we don't want to be servant to the lender. So help us get free of it. And if you guys are like, you know, I'm not very good at the speculator, then look at this as a bond. Okay? This is a mutual fund. This is a safe investment. This is where you walk through the doors. You can sit in this room and you can be part of the tangible asset that you're investing in. You get what I'm saying? Okay? So there is $51,800 needed to sustain the budget operating of this facility. Utilities alone in the city of Jamestown for us to, to maintain this and keep the yard the way it is and to invest in fall and to invest in spring and to sow into all the things that we have and to keep the parking lot right is sixteen dollars to $17,000 annual right now. That's after three years of watching it happen. We know. So that's a, it's a solid investment. Anyways. I am loved. This is our mission, right? We want to serve the community in bigger and better ways, not just big events, but in pathways to get people close to Jesus. This is real. This is where the rubber meets the road. $63,900. Now, if you remember what I said, last year, without asking, without trying, we gave $59,000. So I don't think this is a big jump, do you? Isn't that kind of simple? Like, we're just doing a small incremental jump. To be honest, I think we're undershooting the provision of God on this one. All right? I really do. I think that this should be a $120,000 budget. I think we really want to see change, and we should sow into it. But this bucket, as it stands, is empty. We need you to fill it. All right. Conduit Ministries. This is responsible for insurances. This is responsible for, you know, Quint was last night, we were going back and forth. He's like, what would you, well, this pays salaries, this buys the education materials, this, this 
does all the marketing, this does all the printing, this does all the postage, this does all the accounting, this does all the banking, this does everything that it takes to administratively run a successful business that isn't satisfied with just being on the corner, that believes that business is designed to be multiplied. God's business is kingdom business. And that's what Conduit Ministries is. It's about going out and creating more business. Amen? All right. So the state of the church every month is for us to come together and see how are we doing filling the buckets. This isn't an opportunity to make you feel bad. This is an opportunity for you to be as excited as I am. Because as far as I'm concerned, this is stinking impossible. I'm like, I'm still in awe. I have a job. Like, I showed up. I was technically unemployed. Do you get that? Like, how's that work? I'm unemployed and I got a job. Anyways, so three years later, here we are, excitedly, excitedly standing behind this budget, keeping it real simple so you know where your dollars are going. Right down to the point that if you're like, you know what, I really... I really believe in the church plan, and that's where I want to sow my money. You can write that on your envelope or on your check and put it in there, and guess where your money's going to go? To the church plan. Right there. That's where it's going to go. Now, I'm, uh, I'm excited about today, and I'm excited about the word that is going to come. I'm really excited. Because God has asked you to be here today. Like, that's, that's always the part that moves my heart. You're the ones that God woke up and said, hey, you should go there today. This is a great place to be. We want to remind you that you're not investing in a to-do list. You're investing in a community opportunity. You're investing in a kingdom initiative. And that's your talent and your time and your treasure. Beyond everything else, if you've been here or it's your first time, I want you to know the most important thing to us is your life. Your life. Your life. And the second most important thing is the reality that in your life God has made you unique and special, and it is you and you alone that has a gift for his kingdom. We care about that. And third, I don't care if it's a dollar or a thousand. It isn't the amount, it's the heart. And if you believe in what God believes in, he will multiply it in the name of Jesus. So this is bigger than just saying, hey, y'all, we need some tithe money. Hey, y'all, guess what? God's been bringing it. And he brought you, which means I am going to ask. Now, as we come into this service, and I'm going to pray over Pastor Cameron, we were walking back into Luke, and this is Ha! I forgot something. Okay. Is there space next to you? Some of you say no. Well, you guys did a good job. All right. So serious. If, if, you, if there's a seat next to you, that seat right there is worth money. What we've done, okay, so every, every week money comes in. Regardless of how much, little or a lot, we take 10% and we put it in the mission bucket. That's what we do as a church. And then we take the other 10% and we put it in the church planting bucket. So every week, whatever money comes in, 20% is already committed. Bingo. Before we're paid, before we do anything, the money goes to those two places. 
And now, coming into this year, because we feel like everything that has been brought into this storehouse has been invested into his kingdom here. We feel responsible to invest in his kingdom out there. So for every person that comes into Conduit Kids, into the nursery, or into this room, every week we keep track for the month. How many people do you think we had in January? 1,250 heads. We are assigning a dollar to every single head, and that money is going to a local church or a local non-for-profit that is sustaining and serving and loving the people because we believe we need to be encouragers of the kingdom of God. And so, believe it or not, like that dollar at the end of the month, it turns out to be about 5% of what we're looking for every month. So we're going to give 10 to the mission, we're going to give 10 to the church plant, and we're going to give 5 to the kingdom. Okay? And so that seat to seat, like if you just want to have fun with us, just bring somebody. All right? Just poke fun at us. Come on, like get us to pay money for people. I dare you, bring somebody in here and see what happens. Amen? It's worth a dollar investment on our end. All right? Now, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're coming to a place right now. This message you have to hear. So we're going to pray for the preparedness of your heart. Amen? All right. Here, let me stand up, man. I'm going to pray over you. Father, we just know that today is the day of your word. We just pray over Pastor Cameron as he is a vessel and a conduit of your grace and mercy and truth in the name of Jesus. Uh, that you will use him. Father, we pray over the hearers in this room that they will be transformed by your word, that they will hear the call that you have on their life, that they will be, God, consumed with the purpose that you have given them. And Lord Jesus, that we will stand united as your church. Your church, Father. This is not the hands of men. This is by your design. We celebrate your church, Jesus. And we celebrate this community who is in desperate need. So Father, meet us here. Come into our hearts. Mm -hmm. Change our minds. We ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks, Ben. Um, you know, because it's my, uh, because it's one of my, my things here, I, uh, I have a slide for you too. Not to be, un, not to be outdone. Um, Quint, Quint developed a slide. I know a lot of you, if, you're, if you follow us on Facebook, um, uh, or have our app, you would have seen this gone, gone out for this next week. But this coming Tuesday, uh, here at Conduit at 6.30 p.m., um, there's going to be a Conduit North vision and Q&A night. So uh, we're going to be casting a little bit more vision, a little bit wider net of vision in regards to the church plant over on the north side of the city. But also, I want to have an opportunity for anyone to ask any questions or to to just pick our brains a little bit, Pastor Ben, my, uh, myself, Pastor Corey, uh, about you know w where this whole thing is going and maybe even how we came to the decision to to do this. My uh, one of one of my philosophies in life is that anything that people aren't up on, they're down on, you know, and um, nothing that we're doing here is a secret and there's nothing that's veiled. Um, we'll be very transparent about what we're doing and, and why we're planning a church on the north side and uh, be transparent about everything, which is one of the reasons that we so appreciate Ben being willing to share uh, the state of the church 
uh, very important, and I think we're going to talk a little bit about that. But if you are interested at all, just, just in hearing more about the plans on the north side, I'd encourage you to come on Tuesday night. We're going to have, uh, we'll have some food there for you. Um, so you can come hungry and leave, I hope, well-fed and encouraged about what the Lord is doing uh, in the ministry here and in the city. So um, how many of you will watch the Super Bowl today? I, I, I mean, I, I dare say that's most like, that's, that's like 95% uh, of us. And it w wouldn't be surprising that most of us are going to be watching it. It is like the most watched thing on television every uh, single year. Now, has anyone, I don't know, maybe, maybe we're hearkening back to the days of, um, you know, being a high school superstar uh, or, you know, big grandiose dreams, but did anyone, anyone ever like a football player and want to play in the Super Bowl? A few of us, maybe, okay. Um, I, um, uh, the, the guys in the Super Bowl are huge, scary men, and I am not a huge, scary man, um, so I never really had a desire to get on a football field with, uh, with big professional uh, athletes who run over people for their paychecks, um, but I can certainly understand how, uh, how people who engage in sports and who are really like really athletic, want to, wanted to be involved in those types, those big types of events. And, and certainly, um, the perspective of someone who is on the field in the middle of the game is a lot different than the perspective of someone who is either there at the Super Bowl watching from the stands or like you and I today, uh, it's a lot different from us who will be sitting on our couch or be hanging out with our friends and family and, and stuffing our face full of good food, saying how we wish we would have got our shot at professional sports, right? It's just there's a different perspective between someone who's playing the game and someone who's sitting in the stands watching the game. Uh, a few months ago, uh, and I, re I remember this very, very vividly. Um, I think it was when we were in Luke chapter 9, maybe, in the feeding, uh, or um, when Jesus sends out his 12 disciples. Uh, Pastor Ben said something uh, about the kingdom that really stuck with me. It was something to the effect of um, that he exhorted us against the feeling that when we come to this physical place here, this, this room, this this building, when we come to 120 Delaware Conduit Ministries, that we, that we come, he exhorted us against coming as people who come and like sit in a stadium and watch a game unfold before us. These, these seats here are not stadium seats. Uh, the, the life of living on mission, living uh, to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's not a spectator sport. It's not something that we can watch from the couch. It's not, it's not the way that we'll all be watching the Super Bowl today. It's much more like each and every one of us having the perspective of the player that's on the field in the midst of the game. Now, but here's 
uh, here's a, uh, a reality that, that I've come to experience. Is I've, been, I've been a pastor for a while now. I've been in ministry a long time. I've been around church people for a long, long time. Um, and I've encountered many, many, many people who readily admit um, that they don't just want to sit by the sidelines and watch the work of the kingdom of God. But I've seen few people, a core of people maybe, who uh, are willing to prepare themselves like a professional athlete would to step onto the field on game day and go forward, taking that perspective. See, uh, Jesus made a regular practice of sitting and sifting and shaking the company of his followers to, to discourage those who gave lip service to wanting to get into the game, uh, but were not or had not really considered what it would require of them to step down off of the stadium seats and walk onto the field. Because um, it's one thing to say, yeah, I, I want to be in the game. You know, I want to get on the field. I want to take part. I don't just want to watch. It's another thing altogether to understand what that requires of us as Christ followers, as followers of Jesus Christ. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 today. We're, we're, we're diving back into our Luke series. And um, if you have a Bible, you can go there in Luke chapter 10, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, but you have the app, you can get it there. Um, or there should be some Bibles in your seats for you as well. Luke chapter 1. Luke is the third of the, uh, the four Gospels. And we're going to go really far into Luke chapter 10 with this first little point here, right to the first two words. <laughs> Jesus says, or the, uh, the writer of Luke says, after this, in Luke chapter 1. And when we talk about Jesus regularly taking the opportunity to sift and to shake the company of followers so as to kind of weed out those who were willing to get into the game uh, from those who simply wanted to sit by and watch the show. Uh, we see in Luke chapter 10 that, that Luke is recording a moment where the sifting has happened, the shaking has happened, and Jesus is kind of like the followers have funneled down to those who Jesus is ready to use for the building of his kingdom. Because you see, in that last part of Luke chapter 9, we have this awesome moment where um, the, our, our Bibles kind of, they, they title it, The Cost of Following Jesus. Because as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you will go. Right? Can, can you picture this? You know, like Jesus has been He's been healing the sick. He's been raising people to life, right? 
He's been standing um, strong and confident in the face of religious leaders. He's been multiplying bread and fish and feeding the masses. He's been teaching with confidence. And so you got this guy who's like, he's all pumped up about this Jesus guy. And he's like, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you will go. There's, there's no place that you're going to go, Jesus, that, that I won't go. when I read what Jesus, Jesus responds here, um, I think that Jesus has a pretty good read on this guy. Right? Jesus says, well, you'll follow me wherever. Well, um, foxes have holes, okay? Uh, birds of the air, they have nests. Um, I don't even have a place to lay my head. And he said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, was Jesus being unsensitive here? Um, we, we may see it as that. We may see that, uh, well, Jesus, Jesus wasn't being very polite with these people. Right? But I don't think so much that it's a, it was a matter of Jesus being polite or unpolite as Jesus seeing through the facade of fake commitment, right? Of weak commitment, of... Jesus, I will do whatever you want, whenever you want. I will go wherever you will go. Jesus is like, dude, I don't even have anywhere to live, all right? I, I don't have anywhere to lay my, my head. You, you don't even know what it is that you're saying. You, you don't even know what it is that, that you're committing to. This is, this is not just some fly-by-night type of thing. To the cost of following Jesus... It demanded something of people that, demanded more of people than most were willing to give. We'll see later in our Luke series, Luke chapter 18, that Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler was the very same way. Uh, and the rich young ruler went away realizing that he was not able to give the things that the kingdom demanded of him. So here we are in, in Luke chapter 10, and it says that the Lord, that Jesus, uh, after the Lord, Luke chapter 10, verse 1, after this, after counting the cost, the Lord appointed how many people? 72. The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Okay, so Jesus, after sifting, right? After, um, after kind of allowing the dust to settle, he came down to 72. Seems like a lot, right? It's more than is in this room right now. But 72 out of how many is... I think the more important question, right? If you have 72 out of 75, 
You're, I mean, that's high percentage, right? But, but, but 72 out of how many? Well, um, it doesn't take us long to go back in the Gospel of Luke to see how many people were regularly following Jesus and like clamoring next to him as he was teaching, as he was healing, as he was performing miracles. In fact, if you just go back to Luke chapter 9 and verse 10, you'll see that there was a crowd of over 5,000 people who were regularly following Jesus and wanting to be near him. Now, um, so Jesus makes this announcement to this guy that says he's all in in 9:57 in Luke 9 uh, chapter 9 verse 57 and he's left then with how many who have stepped up and counted the cost and um, and passed the muster so to speak out of 5,000 men roughly 5,000 men 72 now my dad is here this morning he will he will witness to the fact that um, I am not a math genius. Amen. Yeah, amen. Yeah, um, numbers are not my thing, okay? Um, but I, I did a, a, a really quick calculation, and as long as I, some of my math stuck from school, uh, we'll come to, the, come to the conclusion that that's 1.44% of the crowd. 1%. One and a half percent of those who clamored and followed and were right with Jesus throughout his whole ministry, after counting the cost of what it would take, were left for Jesus to send out. Now look, I, I don't want to get the, I don't want to paint the wrong picture here. 1.44% um, is not the goal. <laughs> Nor nor is it an encouraging number, right? Um, but 1.44% is the reality. And, and let that number scream to you of how radically high the calling of the kingdom work for Jesus is and how incredibly important it is that each and every one of us get up out of our seat, off of our couch, and take the field. Now, Pastor Ben shared some numbers this morning that represent both goals and prayers for the ministry of Conduit in 2016 uh, in comparison to what happened in 2015. Now, what you need to know is that, that your leaders here at Conduit are taking as serious as they possibly can the task of having a strategic and responsible laid-out plan for building the kingdom of God in the city of Jamestown and beyond in 2016. Now, while, while not every detail is planned out, and for good reason, there, there is irresponsibility if we approach 2016 with the no plan plan, right? 
We don't have a plan for how we're going to spend the resources that God entrusts to us. We don't, we don't have a plan for what's going to happen on the north side. We, we don't have a plan for I Am Loved and the outreach ministries in the city of Jamestown for 2016. But we're asking God to trust us, and we're asking you to trust us. Now that's just irresponsible, right? Um, what, what we want to do is to ensure you that, that diligence is being taken in the care of the resources that God has entrusted to you and that you have passed on to the ministry so that together we can build the kingdom. Now if we look at chapter 10 verse 1, we see pretty clearly that Jesus seemed to have a good plan. Right? He sifted and he shaked his followers to get to funnel down into those who were committed. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two, right? He created teams, sent them ahead of him, not to just any place that they wanted to go. Okay, go run amok, right? But sent them to the places ahead of him that he planned to go to. Go till that ground. Right? Go Like John the Baptist, prepare the way of the Lord. Proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God. It's pretty clear that Jesus had a strategy here. He had a plan. The work of the kingdom wasn't and isn't just all helter-skelter where, where Jesus releases a bunch of his followers and tells them to go wherever they feel like they need to go. But he raised them up, right? He, he sifted them out. He organized them strategically. He gave them orders in verse 2. He sent them out and then gathered them back. In verse 17 of Luke chapter 10, to regroup, rinse, repeat. Jesus had a strategy here. And so we should have a plan as well. Uh, Pastor Ben laid out some of those plans this morning, and we believe that those things represent God's call on our lives as a missional community of Jesus' followers. And, and in that, we are, we are radically and gloriously dependent upon the movement of God's Spirit among us and in the city to do things in the hearts of people that men cannot accomplish. But listen, just because there are things that only God can accomplish does not mean that there are things that men cannot accomplish. That we are not to do. Jesus sent the 72 out ahead of him and spoke to them about the reality of the situation he said, uh, he let them know why he was sending them out, right? Verse 2, Luke chapter 10, he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. There is... Absolutely no shortage 
talked about this a few weeks ago, absolutely no shortage of brokenness. Indeed, we, we might say that the harvest is plentiful. Um, Reinhold Niebuhr, who was a, a famous theologian and philosopher uh, of this past century, said that the reality and existence of sin and brokenness is the most empirically verifiable doctrine in all of Scripture. I Meaning you don't have to go very far. You, it, it does not take a lot of convincing of anyone to know that there is something radically and holistically broken about all of creation. Uh, Paul mentions in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, that all of creation groans in the pain of its brokenness and decay. We don't have to, you don't need anyone to stand up here and convince you about the gravity of the problem. But what we will do is that when we gather together here on Sunday mornings or when we gather together here on Friday night for prayer, what we will do is we will turn our faces and our hearts to God in radical submission and soul-emptying humility and do exactly what Jesus told the 72 and ask the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, Jesus says. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So we do not need to convince you about the problem of brokenness and sin. But we, what we will do when we gather, when we gather in worship, when we gather in community, when we gather in prayer on Friday nights, is encourage you to the missional prayer of Jesus himself. To the missional calling of Jesus himself. When we say, ask the Lord of the harvest, send more workers. Hey, we need more workers. Because the harvest is plentiful. But the workers, they are, they are so few. Well, that God would raise up from this place, not a stadium full of bystanders, to simply watch the game of kingdom work. But that God would sift and shake us, raise us up, and send a whole army of Jesus followers full of the Holy Spirit and fully focused on the work that he has called us to. The stakes are irredeemably high. The harvest is plentiful. Um, <laughs> Talking about harvest and a plentiful harvest, it's uh, kind of an uncomfortable thing for me, because um, if we're talking practically, uh, I'm not quite sure that anyone's thumb is as black as mine. Um, my wife and I have the un 
canny ability to kill any plant in existence. We are, um, we are awesome at not gardening. Um, we try really hard, and we really want to be, but, but, but we have trouble growing things. There was one exception, though. We had a garden um, back at a house that we lived at in Frewsburg, um, and I don't know if it was just a mixture of the Lord's blessing or the right things that we did or just plain dumb luck, but we had this booming garden with towering tomato plants and um, big, you know, like really nice, juicy, ripe tomatoes and like everything just went uh, super well. My wife had a nice um, herb garden and it was awesome. Um, it was so awesome, right? And we, we had so much produce that, you know what ended up happening? Does anyone ever do this, like plant a garden with really good intentions of preserving it and putting it all up and canning it during the year? And then you get to the point of like, okay, it's, it's go time. Time to make sauce, time to can the tomatoes, time to, you know, do all of the stuff that we thought we were going to do. And they just sit on the vine. And they sit there. And they sit there. And they sit there. And the frost comes, and they sit there a bit longer, and then rain comes, snow comes, and all of a sudden the tomatoes that were beautiful, that were ripe for the harvest, that were, that were ready to be picked, end up rotting. Now why did they rot? It didn't have anything to do with the conditions in which they were growing, right? It didn't have anything to do with their readiness for being picked. It had everything to do with the inability of the harvester, of the worker. It wasn't for a lack of understanding or even a lack of caring, uh, but because we were busy with other things in life, right? We have kids, and we had jobs, and we have uh, family, and we had this, and we had that, and we had this, and we had that. And while the garden is like a microcosm of a picture of a harvest of people's souls for the Lord, the, the picture remains the same. It becomes incredibly easy to lose sight of the fact that the harvest is ready to be picked, and sooner or later, listen, and this is why the stakes are so high, it's because a harvest never lasts forever, right? You harvest in a specific season, and there comes a time where a harvest season is over. And when we talk about the harvest of the kingdom, we are also talking about the same type of principles. That this season of souls being ready to receive the grace of Jesus Christ will not last forever because the Lord himself has said, I am coming like a thief in the night. You will not know. You cannot expect it. You can anticipate it. But it will come quickly And so what happens? Well, while my wife and I were worried about taking care of our children and our home and 
our jobs and our tomatoes rotted from hanging on the vine too long. We got, you know, you get distracted by, um, you get distracted by other things in life. Um, I want to say that Jesus had a good understanding of the urgency of the task for the 72 to go out and proclaim that the kingdom of God is near to them. And so he encouraged them in their journey, in their sending, to take what? Nothing. Verse 4 in chapter 10. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. Is this again a picture of Jesus being impolite? No. Um, we might take it as that. You know, we might, we might take not greeting someone on the road as a gesture or an impolite gesture. Um, I think that what we see here is we see Jesus being um, radically passionate about the urgency of the task to go out and proclaim the kingdom. Don't waste your time gathering your things, right? They're, they'll only weigh you down, right? They will only distract you from the urgency of the task that is before you. Don't, don't waste the breath that's in your lungs chit-chatting with someone on the way to the store. Get to where you're going. Do what I've called you to do. Uh, uh, take with you the urgency that I send you with, that the kingdom is near. Go and proclaim it. The call of Jesus is not to divest yourself of all your personal possessions, okay? Jesus, Jesus isn't saying that, well, in order for you to serve the kingdom, you must own nothing. Uh, you, must, you must have nothing, right? You, you, can't have, um, you can't have anything in your worldly life if you, want to, if you want to be on mission for me. That's not what Jesus is uh, saying here at all. What Jesus is saying is count the cost and the urgency of what I send you out to do, of who your identity is in me, and determine first and foremost what your number one priority will be. Where will, you, where will your focus be? Where will your urgency be? Let your heart have one sole, singular, laser beam focus. Has anyone ever desired, had the yearning to, instead of doing a hundred things halfway, you do one or two things the whole way? You know, to like, to like not be a jack of all trades and a master of none, but to be a master of one. Uh, I mean, I mean, maybe it's just me, but, but like I get, I get weary of having to do a bunch of different things and having my my focus and my attention and my time and my resources so divided between a hundred things that I don't do any of them well. That when we receive 
the calling of Jesus to be going out on mission, proclaiming that the kingdom is near to the people, that that Jesus gives us an opportunity to have a laser-like focus on one thing. It's like a magnifying glass, right? That a whole spectrum and beam of light shines through this magnifying glass, focusing the beam for burning ants. I mean, starting fires, right? You know the kid that burns ants, right? Because he can harness the light that comes through the magnifying glasses and it focuses everything down to a single point and the sun that's not, that won't burn you by just being out underneath it, underneath a magnifying glass, has the focus to burn right through a piece of paper. And so the light of Jesus, when shined through us, needs to become focused, directed, an unobstructed force, not encumbered or concerned with the weight of worldly things that distracts us from the one task that Jesus has sent us out to do, which is to gather the harvest. The one task that Jesus has sent us out to do. That last song that Bryce led us in this morning, um, let this be some wisdom to you. You should always be careful about what you sing to the Lord. Right? You should always be careful about, about the words that come out of your mouth in worship. I surrender all. I surrender all, all to thee, my precious Savior. I surrender all. Do, do you? I feel sometimes, like during that song, sometimes I just got to be like, I, I, I can't go there, Lord. My heart, like, I surrender some... I surrender some. Only the things that are really easy to give up, I surrender some. But it becomes a question in our soul. A few things that I want to just point out before we close this morning. You know, in... um, in a variety of ways and in a variety of environments, we desire to be people who go out in the harvest field. To be those willing not to sit in the stadium watching the game unfold as conduits, right? But to go out in the city of Jamestown and to take part in what God is doing in the people. But the, the reality is, is if you... If you've ever seen a large-scale agricultural business, you know that not every harvester has the same job, right? Not every harvester looks the same, right? A combine that is made for um, cutting a cornfield or even a field of wheat looks much different than a harvester that you're going to find over in the North County in Fredonia that picks grapes, right? They have different functions. They have different purposes. 
and a harvester, uh, a certain type of harvester may, may, may pick the fruit off the vine, but then may take it to a truck, right, who loads it in the truck, who transports it over here, who cleans it and processes it, who takes it to market, right, who takes it home, makes something else with it to sell it then off there. Not every harvester looks the same, and what we're not asking is that we have a homogeneous culture where everyone marches lockstep doing the very same thing. What we are asking you to do is to count the cost of what Jesus has called us to as his followers. Count the cost of following Jesus. Understand the urgency of the task that he has set us forth to do and to take the field in whatever position he has positioned you for. Understanding that the field is a war zone. We could talk really specifically and say, Jamestown is a rough place. There are neighborhoods and people and homes and streets that are hard, that are rough, that are difficult. That's why Jesus himself said in verse, uh, in verse 2, Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Excuse me, verse 3. Go, I am sending you out. Like what? Like lambs among wolves. The harvest fields are a war zone where the message of grace in the name of Jesus Christ is not one that is uh, always very easily received. See, not every piece of fruit is easily collected, to stick with our metaphor. Some are really high up on that tree and take a lot of work and a lot of risk and a lot of danger to climb up that tree and to reach Jesus finally mentions to his disciples in a couple of different ways between verses 5 and between verses 12 uh, about the reality of how the 72 will be received. Right? So, so picture this. He says, when you enter a town and are welcome, uh, eat what is set before you. I'm in verse 8 and 9. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, even the dust uh, of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. The harvest field is not... Uh, is not always an easy place to walk, right? Because we will, we will go, we will go for, here, here's what I'm telling you right now. We will go to the north side, right? 
And we will continue to minister in the south side, in the west side, in the east side, in the north side, and right here in this very building. But we will go to the north side and we will be rejected. There will be people, there will be families, there will be whole groups of people, there will be businesses who reject us. And what we will take it as, we will take it, um, we, we have a choice here, right? Uh, because here's my experience is that one of the biggest things that keeps people in the stadium seats rather than on the field is this fear of what? If I share the hope of Jesus Christ that I have with someone and they, re- they reject it, right? Like, I, I don't want to be rejected. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to not be able to answer their questions, right? I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to live in fear. Uh, like I, I'm afraid of what might of what might happen. So the responsibility that Jesus gives the seventy-two is to convince no one to defend the truth of the gospel. To no one. The, the one thing that Jesus tells the 72 to do is to go and proclaim. It is not, it is not up to you to be... Uh, you're not going to determine the, 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 the wisdom of your words, the eloquence of your speech will not determine whether or not someone receives the message of the gospel with 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 joy, or, or they reject it. You're to go and proclaim, and proclaim, and proclaim, and leave the rest up to the Lord. So we go... Let me say it like this, and then I'm finished. Um, Pastor Ben shared some things with us this morning, and he'll share it during second service. Come on up, Bryce. You guys can come up. I'm just about finished here. But, um, you know, and we might think that it is like that the, that the, the things that Pastor Ben shared with us during first service are so wholly disconnected from where we are this morning in Luke chapter 10. But, but, what, but what we want you to understand is that that really could not be further from the truth. Do we need, um, do we need financial resources to be in ministry in the city of Jamestown and beyond? Absolutely. Beyond a, beyond a shadow beyond a shadow of a doubt, right? Um, but, but I also know that, that if it's not you that provides it, that it'll be someone else, right? Because it's not, this isn't, this isn't our plan for the city of Jamestown, right? This is, this is God's plan, right? And, and if he doesn't, and, and it, God will get his plan going in the right direction, right? With or without me, with or without Pastor Ben, with or without So the question of, does God need you? 
The answer to that question is really simple. No. God does not need you. But the beauty of the next question is that, um, does God want you? God, God wants you. He doesn't need you. He, he wants you. And how much more beautiful, how much more beautiful is that? That there is nothing that God needs us for, but God wants us. God wants us to be involved in the things that he is doing so that we can be firsthand witnesses to the glory involved when he changes a single person's life. And like an epidemic of grace, it floods a whole city of people's lives who are changed. That is what God is calling us to. God is calling us to be the worker, right? Who goes out being infected with grace and infecting other people. So Father, as we enter into worship once again, we pray that you would turn our hearts towards you. Lord, that we would sing not for our encouragement, Lord, but for your glory. That, that songs of praise would well up inside of us and then out of us, Lord, that you might be glorified for who you are and for what you've come to do through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.